Welcome to episode two of From the Front Porch, conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. I'm Annie Jones, and this episode I'll be joined by travel writer Jody Helmer to discuss her new book, Farm Fresh Georgia. We'll talk about agritourism, yes, it's a thing, shopping for local foods, and more. Later in the episode, Katie and I debate what cookbooks are really good for, and I list some of my favorite foodie memoirs. Thanks for joining us. Okay, Jody, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about Farm Fresh Georgia? So Farm Fresh Georgia, I describe as sort of an agritourism guidebook to Georgia. So it covers from from the north Georgia to south Georgia, from the east coast to the west coast, um, what farmers are doing that allows people to come onto the farm and have some sort of farm experience mm-hmm. or gets people closer to the source of their food. So that might be a farm-to-table restaurant or a you-pick or a farmer's market, or you may go directly to the farm and experience something there, whether it's a festival or an opportunity to um, go through a corn maze or pick your own pumpkins at a pumpkin patch and those sorts of things. Okay. And it took a year of research to do the book. I traveled to all of the places that are included in the book. So these are places that I have seen and experienced and can personally recommend for people who really want some sort of connection to their to their food. And when you talk about agritourism and going to the farm, what types of activities are at these places? You know, you mentioned activities on the farm. What do you do at a farm? <laughs> it really depends on the farm. So there are f- some farms that have what are called farm stays, which is where they invite guests to spend the night in an accommodation on the farm. And those farms are pretty amenable to having guests help with farm chores mm-hmm. because there are fewer guests spending the night than, say, showing up for a corn maze. And okay. so they can manage a little better having you help collect eggs or help with milking mm-hmm. or you know do those sorts of things. There are a lot of farms that do demonstrations, so whether it's a milking demonstration or um, there are some farms that have animal-powered um, grinders where they're grinding grits or they're doing things like that. Um, there are some farms that have corn mazes and pumpkin patches and other educational opportunities. Mm-hmm. There's a farm in Henry County just outside of Atlanta called Southern Bell Farms. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they do is they have pig races. So you can go and cheer on <laughs> pigs um, <Fun. laughs> racing through an obstacle course. So there are you know, some really educational things you can do on a farm and then there are things that are just plain fun like if you want to go you know ride a horse or watch a pig race or go through a corn maze or those sorts of things you can do that too i kind of like the idea of spending the night at the farm although are you a fan of the office at all did you ever watch i did watch the office it reminds me of when pam and jim go stay at the at um, the beet farm. <laughs> Did you ever see that? Episode? I don't think I saw <laughs> it was that. Very weird. And but I think that that would be appealing to me. Like that sounds like something Jordan and I would do on a vacation together. Is spend the night at a farm. Did you ever do that and participate in the? stuff that they had to offer? I did. I stayed at a couple of farms. Um, I stayed at Hunter Cattle Company, which is in um, Brunswick, Georgia, just outside of Savannah, and helped collect some of the eggs and round up some pigs, and that was really fun. Um, I stayed at 74 Ranch in the North Georgia Mountains, which is a working cattle ranch, and it was really fascinating and 
I just went horseback riding there. We did a great horseback tour through the pastures and those sorts of things, but that was really neat. It is a really different experience right. to spend the night on a farm. Yeah, that, sound, that sounds wonderful to me. Um, so tell me a little bit about who you met on this journey. Um, I know last night when we had our event here at the store, uh, one of the questions asked was about first-generation farmers. Um, and that's appealing to me because I'm a first-generation entrepreneur. Right. And so I'd love to hear kind of those stories and then the other people that you met on this trip you took. I met so many wonderful people on the trip, and it was probably honestly the best part of the trip. The food was definitely a close second, <laughs> but the people were certainly the most interesting, um, most rewarding part of the trip for me. And I met, you know, I met some farmers who've been farming for generations. Mm -hmm. Their family has been farming for generations, and they're sort of carrying on that legacy. And it's really interesting to see how they're doing things a little differently as times have changed and our interest in food has changed and our demand for more locally grown, organically grown produce has changed. Um, but I also met a lot of people who are farming for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I think when you think of first generation farmers, you think of people who are in their 20s, um, and they're striking out to do something different. And I met a lot of those people. Mm -hmm. I met a lot of farmers who had advanced degrees in subjects not at all related <laughs> to agriculture, who were really interested in doing something different and mm -hmm. really passionate about the local food movement and wanted a career that they felt had an impact. Mm -hmm. And they decided to farm. And a lot of them started out as farm interns. Okay. There are internship programs for farmers. And if you're looking to farm, it's really the best way to go because you get access to you know, someone with a lot more knowledge, you have access to someone else's farm and land and capital and all of those sorts of things so that you can really learn before you strike out on your own. Mm -hmm. And it's a really good way to discover if it's something that you want to do before you invest. Right, a way to get your foot in the door exactly, without diving in. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, but most of them, after their internship programs, decided that they were really excited about farming and struck out on their own to farm. But I met some first-generation farmers who were older people oh, wow. who um, wanted to, to farm. And they had all sorts of interesting stories. There was a couple who um, have an alpaca farm in North Georgia, and it's actually called an alpaca ranch. The alpaca people would get mad at me if I called it a farm. <laughs> it's an alpaca ranch in North Georgia. And they're a, a lovely couple, probably in their 50s, mm -hmm. and they saw an ad in the newspaper for an agricultural fair. Okay. And they decided on a whim just to go and check it out and fell in love with alpacas. She said they reminded her of creatures from a Dr. Seuss book. They do look like creatures from the Lorax or something. With exactly. <laughs> and she said they were so odd looking and so comical that she couldn't resist. And they oh. bought alpacas and started an alpaca story. ranch. And now they're, um, they're raising alpacas, which are animals that are raised mostly for their fiber. Okay. And they do tours, and they have a breeding program where they sell alpacas to other ranchers. Okay. But the both of them are involved in shearing the alpacas and spinning their fiber into oh. an actual fiber you can work with. So they knit and crochet these beautiful hats and scarves and mittens and socks and things that they sell wow. and dye right on the farm. And they had never farmed before. I mean, they wow. had, you know, were midway through their careers in totally different 
fields and they're first generation farmers so that's interesting yeah that's brave it was <laughs> uh, um the other kind of question i have so my husband and i watch all these food documentaries right mm-hmm. we watch food inc we watch you know and what that means is right after we watch those things we're completely disgusted and we immediately i immediately promise that i am not going to buy any cheap meat or I'm only going to buy free range eggs and you know you watch these documentaries and this past Saturday when um, I drove out to White Oak Pastures to pick up um, some grass-fed beef for last night's event um, as I was driving I passed by these farms and it was chicken farms I guess like with these I don't know buildings hen houses or something in the middle and just chickens kind of I don't know, hanging out on the farm. And it was so drastically different from what you see on these scary food documentaries. And it was kind of eye-opening, because you can watch those documentaries and it affects you for a few weeks or a few days, and then you kind of move on. And But then seeing in person the contrast to, oh, this is what the alternative looks like. And yeah, this is why I buy organic free range. Like this makes sense but it doesn't maybe make sense until you see it in person. And so I wanted to know if you had any experiences like that or how you were, how you saw the farming movement, the slow food movement in your trip to Georgia and how you contrast that with what we see in these scary food documentaries we watch. (laughs) The food documentaries are scary, (laughs) um, but they're also very real and that the kinds of things that you see on those documentaries that frighten you and make you think I'm never going to eat meat again right. or I'm never going to eat cheap meat again, those things are happening in Georgia. Okay. I mean, there's no question that there are Georgia farmers that are um, perhaps not running feedlots, but are definitely running um, sort of more conventional farming operations where they've got um, chicken houses mm-hmm. where the chickens are, you know, crammed in and they don't have any access to outdoors right. or the light and they're you know, sort of overfed um, and harvested fairly quickly. Right. Um, I think I heard on average a chicken in a chicken house uh, only has about six weeks before it goes to slaughter. Oh. So they're they're bulked up really quickly and right. then sent off to market. And that's definitely happening. And mm-hmm. there are no shortage of farmers in Georgia and all over the country that are, you know, suiting up in um, hazmat type yeah. suits and spraying their farms with chemicals. Absolutely. What you saw, I'm, I'm thinking, on the way to White Egg Pastures are called chicken tractors. Okay. And those are movable. They're on wheels. Okay. And you um, can pull them behind the tractor or whatever so that the chickens have constant access to shelter in case they need to get away from predators or whatever, but they're moved around the pastures uh-huh. so that they're grazing in different areas. Okay. It's a much more... Um, sustainable way of farming from an environmental perspective and um, the tractors tend to be fairly small you know they may house 50 hens Mm -hmm. and there are a bunch of them and then the hens have access to the outdoors and they can peck around the pasture and those sorts of things and um, and there are a lot of small-scale farms that are doing things like that that have um, you know chicken tractors that have you know they're raising free-range chickens Mm -hmm. or organic grass-fed beef or pastured pork where they have great access to the outdoors and they can engage in some of their natural behaviors like pigs like to root and forage and roll around in the mud and bask in the sun and they're they're able to do those things um, naturally and and that is happening a lot in Georgia and it's really driven by customer demand so the more that we become aware of where our food comes from the more 
um, apt we are to seek out these um, more sustainable ethical producers and so you know I think it's a matter of just asking the farmers questions mm-hmm. if you're going to a farmers market or you're going to sign up for a, a CSA program mm-hmm. or you want to go to a farm and you're thinking about purchasing things from a farm store while you're there visiting just ask about how the animals are raised or how the vegetables are raised and you know one of the things we talked a little bit about last night was a lot of farmers are growing things organically but they're not certified organic or certified naturally grown because for a number of reasons whether they don't want to go through the paperwork or they the cost is too much or those sorts of things and so if eating pesticide free produce is important to you just ask how it was grown you know i'm totally okay with eating produce that's not certified organic or certified naturally grown mm-hmm. if i talk to the farmer and he says well i'm not i'm not spraying anything i'm just not certified and here's why right which i thought that was interesting last night i, I thought that was a good point to remind us because so often we look for the sticker you know right. we're at the grocery store or something like that well and there's a there's a section in the book where i talk about what the different labels mean and a lot of them are not regulated. Mm-hmm. USDA organic is is pretty tightly regulated, but there are labels like all natural and right. cage free that don't necessarily mean what you think they do. Okay. And so it's really important to understand what the labels mean and whether there's any oversight holding people accountable for those labels mm-hmm. or whether it's just something that almost anyone can say and slap a label on a product, whether right. or not it's true. Good to educate yourself before maybe you hit the farmer's market or the Absolutely. grocery store. Yes. Which brings me to one of my next questions, which is something you and I have already kind of talked about a little bit. So I love going to the farmer's market. When I get there, though, I tend to just think, oh, those look, you know, those peaches look so good, and, and oh, those potatoes look so good. And my husband and I are just two people. And I, it's not like I buy in bulk. I don't buy a ton of food. But when you get home with this fresh, beautiful produce, and then you look at your calendar for the week and you realize, oh, we're out of town these two nights, and you know I won't have time to cook this other night. And so you're left with all this produce, and it and it goes bad quickly, as it should. <laughs> um, but what is what is the solution for someone like me who is busy? Cooking isn't my most favorite thing to do, um, but I want to eat local foods. I want to support my local farmers, but I do feel a little bit like, oh, it will go to waste. I'll throw it away. I think you, in some ways, have to approach the farmer's market in the same way that you approach the supermarket. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't show up at the supermarket without a shopping list, or you shouldn't. Right. And I feel like farmer's markets are the same way. The difference is you're really relying on what's in season. So Mm -hmm. if you would go to the supermarket and say, well, I need bananas and apples this week, and you're going to the farmer's market in July, you're not going to find, first of all, you're not going to find bananas at a Georgia farmer's market, (laughs) but you're not going to find apples either. So I advise signing up for the farmer's market newsletter. Most farmer's markets have them. They'll send it out every week in advance of the market, and they'll tell you what's in season. Mm -hmm. And you can use that list. Um, of seasonal products to sort of formulate your grocery list for the week. Mm. So you do have to think about um, whether you have time to cook, how you're going to use this stuff in a meal. And the farmers are willing to help with that in terms of providing recipes. A lot of farmers have recipes available at their stands Mm -hmm. or they can say to you the best way to store this is, you know, do X and it'll keep longer. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and a lot of fresh seasonal fruit can be preserved Mm -hmm. so it doesn't take much for example to freeze blueberries it's really simple so if you know that you are 
running out of time before those blueberries go bad and you're not going to be around to eat them, you know, take 15 or 20 minutes and, and freeze them and then you'll have them on hand for later. But I think the farm, you know, one of the things about the farmer's market is that they offer samples and once you taste something, you feel like you need to have it. Yeah. And then you do bring it home and you, you know, think, look at the bounty on your countertop and think, I'm not sure how I'm going to eat all of this. Right. Um, so it happens. So I would definitely say, you know, be aware of what's in season. Mm-hmm. Um, be aware of the best ways to store it. Okay. Um, so that it keeps a little longer, and and plan your shopping trip like you would plan a shopping trip to the supermarket. Right. So that you know how you're going to use the food. Yeah, it's all about planning ahead. And you mentioned last night, which I thought this was a, these were great little tips that farmers market newbies might not know, which is take your own bags mm-hmm. and I think go early or. Something like, I liked those little tips you gave, yeah. Yeah, so one of them was go early because um, a lot of farmers are very popular. They're like rock stars of our generation. (laughs) And so if you show up too late, the stuff you want may be gone. Right. Um, Which, now listen, if you can't get to the market the minute it opens, don't not go. I mean, you know, in an ideal world, you'd get there early. But don't skip a market trip just because you think, oh, it's, you know, it's already been going on for two hours. Take your own bags. Farmers have bags on hand for sure, but it's Mm -hmm. so much easier for them if you can just bring your own canvas bag. Mm -hmm. And if you're committed to shopping local um, because it's an environmental thing for you, then certainly you don't want to be you know, hauling home your local (laughs) produce in a plastic bag. Take small bills, Mm, right? Um, Because it's not easy for a farmer often to change, you know, a $20 bill or a $30 $30 bill. (laughs) You know those $30 bills? (laughs) They're really rare. Yes. Um, A $20 bill or a $50 bill, you know, when you're buying $2 worth of, you know, snap peas or whatever. So take small bills. Right. Yeah. Um, you are also a travel writer, mm-hmm. um, and so to me that means you've been lots of different places, you've seen lots of different things. Um, I have been, you know, we've been to California and a couple of different places, but I'm curious now that you've traveled Georgia, which I'm a new resident of Georgia, and it is fascinating to me how many farms I passed in like the hour and a half trip to White Oak Pastures up in Bluffton. Um, I was just, it's just so much green space. Um, And so I'm curious what sets the South, um, Georgia in particular, but you live in North Carolina, um, what is the South doing that is different maybe from, you know, what the Californians are doing in their, um, in their, I don't know, fruit groves and things like that? What is the difference? I would say the primary difference is the crops. Mm -hmm. So there are things that we can grow in the south, Mm -hmm. and certainly the farther south you get, the more temperate the climate, that you just can't grow in Michigan or Washington State or in North Dakota. And so to me, there was such diversity in the crops, Mm -hmm. and that was really interesting. You know, we have peanuts and um, Vidalia onions and olives. There's a, a... a farmer, uh, George Olive Farms, that's growing olives to make olive oil here, which you certainly don't see up north. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of diversity as far as the crops are concerned. I would say that there are some similarities between what's happening in Georgia and what's happening in other states. For example, in Atlanta, where there is not a whole lot of green space, right. farmers have gotten really creative and they're figuring out ways to make use of urban space, Mm -hmm. and they're doing that in New York Mm -hmm. and San Francisco and places like that. And so there are farmers in New York where um, there's one farm in particular called Truly Living Well Farm, Mm -hmm. and the raised beds are built 
over top of the foundations of old apartment buildings. So you can actually oh, cool. see the concrete foundations in this inner city neighborhood. And, um, and they're growing a, a huge range of produce on a fairly small piece of land. Mm -hmm. Certainly large for an inner city neighborhood, but small compared to what you see in more rural areas. Right. And then there are you know, restaurants in Georgia that are growing produce on their rooftops mm -hmm. and doing creative things like that, which you see a lot in larger cities outside of the South. Mm -hmm. But I think the big difference is just the diversity in crops and the things that you can grow here in Georgia that you can't grow elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, why do you think this kind of, and maybe I keep coming back to this slow food movement, the last um, podcast that we did, we talked about Ariane Huffington's Thrive, and she mentioned the slow movement in general, but she mm -hmm. also referenced the slow food movement, which I think ties a lot into local eating and supporting local farmers. Um, and you, I would consider you kind of an expert on the subject. You've written a book, you write articles for magazines, and um, I would like to know what is the new push, what is the draw, maybe it's not new, maybe you know, slow food is an old thing, but um, it seems like it's becoming cool again, I guess, and what is bringing our attention back to, oh, this is important, you know, my grandparents, I think it would have completely made sense that of course you eat what's in season, and of course you eat, you know, what the local farm provided for you, um, but to me it feels like old, sweet and old-fashioned, and right. you know, what... Why? Why is it like that? So I think on the one hand, it does feel sweet and old-fashioned, mm -hmm. and it is, um, it's a very old idea. I mm -hmm. mean, this is something that you're, you're right, our grandparents took for granted. Like, mm -hmm. this was, there were only right. local foods. <laughs> I mean, we were not shipping things in from overseas. Right. It just wasn't happening. Um, and at the same time, it feels very revolutionary. Yeah. And, and I think that that has a lot to do with how food has changed over the last generation or so, mm -hmm. you know, I remember when my family, we got our first microwave mm -hmm. and we were so excited and we just wanted to microwave everything. <laughs> well, you don't microwave fresh food, right. right? You only microwave processed food. Right. And so there, there was this huge shift in the kinds of foods that we were eating. And I think there are all sorts of political and cultural reasons that that happened. You know, our, I'm 38. Mm -hmm. And um, my mom worked outside the home while I was growing up, and so she would come home, and it was all about rushing to get dinner on the table. Right. My grandmother didn't, you know, she had the the option to spend all day cooking if she wanted to or mm -hmm. chose to, and and that was sort of a, a major shift. And as that started to happen, um, we started to get these big food companies that were producing. Um, a lot of you know TV dinners right. and you know lean cuisine and things you could pop in your brand new microwave, right. and and I think the more that food became a chemical process mm -hmm. as opposed to you know natural farmed fresh produce, right. the more people turned away from what was in season and what was being grown, and I think you know. At the risk of sounding a little political, there are a lot of substances in those processed foods that are designed to get us addicted. Mm -hmm. And so we've lost sort of a taste. Mm -hmm. And that's the other big thing is as we started to have a demand to have what we wanted whenever we wanted it, we started shipping in foods from other countries because, well, gosh darn it, we want a banana in right November, <laughs> right? Right. And we want to eat, you know, blueberries in January. And those things taste different because they, they're shipped a long way, they're not 
harvested at peak ripeness. And so we're not even sure what real food tastes like anymore. Right, we're immune. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that, I think there's been sort of a real shift in awareness about that, mm -hmm. about the impact that some of these um, mass-produced food products have on our bodies yes. and our environment and our health. Yeah. And um, the realization that fresh local food is widely available if we're willing to shift our eating habits a little. Mm -hmm. And I do think there's there's been a real shift in this, what they call Generation Y, about mm -hmm. people who are really excited about doing work that makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And farming is something that really does make a difference. And as more of our farmers start to retire and get a little older, um, you know, this new generation is sort of stepping in and, and interested in sort of carrying on that legacy. And with that, we've started to pay attention to what they're doing. And like I said, farmers have become sort of the rock stars of our generation. And we've started to get more interested in local food and knowing where our food comes from and really savoring a good meal. Mm -hmm. So instead of, you know, my mom coming home and like rushing to put dinner on the table and then everybody going out to something, we're realizing there's like, something really beautiful about sitting down to a meal together sort of in in fellowship in um, community and savoring that experience and right. sort of slowing down and taking time to hang out with our families or with our friends mm -hmm. or whatever and and we don't want to eat a lean cuisine while we're doing that right yeah <laughs> so my i guess my last question for you is how do you do what we've been talking about at your house. Like for you personally, what does supporting local farms, eating local food, what does that look like at, in your house on a regular basis? Um, so this time of year, I grow a lot of my own food. Mm -hmm. We have um, the blessing of having a very large yard mm -hmm. and we have several raised beds. And so I grow whatever I can. We have okay. you know, some blueberries and raspberries and grapes and peaches and those sorts of things at mm -hmm. home. We installed a beehive this year for the oh, first time, fun. which was new and different and freaky and exciting all at the same yeah. time. So we'll, we'll have honey next year. Um, I have a, f a good friend who's a farmer mm -hmm. um, nearby. And so whenever she and I get together for lunch, we do this pork exchange in the, <laughs> in the parking lot. It looks rather illicit. I'm handing her <laughs> money for a box of um, food, but I get pork and eggs and beef from her. Okay, wow. Um, and we have some great farmer's markets in Charlotte, so yeah. I shop at the farmer's market. And then I'm just really careful about if I, if I want something, because I don't always eat in season, to be honest. I love right. a banana in the morning, right. um, but I'm very careful to buy those things organically and shop at markets like Earth Fair or Whole mm -hmm. Foods or Trader Joe's where there's a good selection mm -hmm. of um, organic, grass-fed, natural sort of products. Mm -hmm. And so it's really this combination of things and I'm the first to admit that sometimes it's arduous to put all these pieces together. I've got right. to like do the pork exchange in the parking lot and I've got right. to go out and take care of my own garden and I've got to go to the farmer's market for this and the supermarket for that. Right. Um, but it it's something that is just really important to me mm -hmm. and so I make the time to do it. Right, just like um, anything else, I guess. Exactly, exactly. So it's... Yeah, I think when it's something that you prioritize, it doesn't seem like it's a chore. Mm -hmm. It just seems like this is what we do because this is what's in line with our values. Right. And if that means a couple of extra steps, then that's okay. Yeah. 
Well, thanks, Jody. That makes a lot of sense. And it, like I said, it makes a lot of sense in everything else we do in our lives. Why not our food and what we right. put on our table? Exactly. Um, well, thanks, Jody, so much for coming to Thomasville, for putting together this book, um, all the research that you put in. Um, I'm thrilled to dive in and maybe take some road trips this summer to Absolutely. some farms. Absolutely. You should. You should. <laughs> thanks for having me. Thanks.